Okay, come on in and find a place where you can grab a seat. I'm excited this morning because I'm excited about the way that the Lord confirmed to me this morning what he wanted me to share with you this morning. Um, Tom didn't really know what I was going to be preaching about, and neither did Gene. But I'm speaking to you this morning about learning to hear God's voice, learning to hear and obey God's voice. We're going to be doing a series over the next two months called Learning to Hear God's Voice. In 1 Samuel 3, verse 1, it says, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. When we think of the word rare, we think of there being like a limited quantity of something or a limited supply of something. And that word does mean that, but the primary definition that was used for this word in this scripture is the word of the Lord was valuable or the word of the Lord was precious in those days. If we want to learn to hear the voice of the Lord, we need to learn to value his voice, to treat his voice as valuable and precious. There are a few things that I want to share with you this morning that I think will help us learn to hear the voice of the Lord more clearly. The first one is to set an appointment. Exodus 19, verses 10 through 11 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And then verse 19 And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by the voice. So basically, God speaks to Moses, and he says, Have the people get ready today and tomorrow, because on the third day, I'm going to speak to them. What God did was he set an appointment to speak. A pastor tells a story about a time their church was about to build a building. They had outgrown their current building. And they needed to do something, and they had gone to multiple, multiple services, and now it came time that they were going to build a building. And the leadership of the church felt like God spoke to them, and they told them he was going to give them the money for the building up front. They weren't really opposed to raising money for the project, and they weren't even opposed to taking out a loan for the project, but God spoke to them, and God said, I'm going to give you the money for the building up front. So some time had gone by. And one Sunday, as the pastor was finishing preaching, a businessman from his church came up to him and said, could I talk to you after the service? The pastor said, sure. So they went and they sat in his office. And the businessman thanked the pastor for the way he had invested in him. The businessman had been part of the church for 10 years. He got saved, and immediately after getting saved, he came to the church. And he talked about how much he had grown in these 10 years that he had been at the church. He told the pastor... One of the ways that his life had been transformed while he had been at the church was his financial life had been transformed. When he came to the church, he was struggling financially. He wasn't doing well at all. He could barely scrape by. His business wasn't doing well financially. He was, his business was struggling. It hadn't grown and become what he had thought and hoped it would become. And when he first started coming to the church, they did a series on giving. And in that series on giving... They talked about tithing, and they taught about, taught about giving offerings. And the man said, okay, like if, God, if God told me to do this, then I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to believe that God will bless my finances. So the man started tithing, and he told the pastor about how over time his finances, like incrementally, month after month, year after year, dramatically changed. 
and God had blessed his finances like crazy. He had blessed his businesses like crazy. This businessman who 10 years ago was struggling was now a really, really wealthy businessman. And so about a year ago, before this time when the businessman talked to the pastor, he had decided to sell his business. So he went through a process of advertising and figuring out who was going to buy it. And then once they figured that out, it took about another six months to finalize the sale of the business. And he had finally sold, and completely be, he was completely done with the business the Friday before he talked to the pastor. So he said he wasn't really sure if he was supposed to tithe on that money that he got, but he remembered during that series, they said that, said that the Bible said that we're to tithe on our increase. And so he looked at this money that he made in selling the business, and he said, I see this money as increase, so I'm going to go ahead and tithe on it. And the pastor said, wow, that's awesome. I'm glad that God has transformed your life and blessed you financially, and I, I believe he's going to continue to do that. So the man said to the pastor, could we meet at the bank and just sign some documents to have the money transferred directly from my account into the church account? And the pastor said, sure, just let me know when you want me to meet you, and I'll be happy to be there. So the businessman emailed the pastor, and he said, could you meet me Monday morning at 9 a.m.? And the pastor was reading this email on his cell phone. So he clicked over to his calendar and opened his calendar app, and he didn't even really need to look at his calendar because he already knew on Monday at 9 a.m. he already had an appointment, but he looked anyways. And he looked, and the appointment at 9 a.m. on Monday simply said, God. And so the pastor uh, looked, and he kind of hesitated for a second, and then he emailed the businessman back, and he said, I'm sorry, I can't meet you at the bank at 9 o'clock on Monday because I already have an appointment with God. So the businessman, he got that email, and he looked at it, and he read it, and he thought, that's a little weird, like you can't reschedule your appointment with God. But he didn't say anything. He said, okay. And so he talked to the bank, and he set up a time later on Monday that they could meet. So then the pastor and the businessman went to the bank. They signed the paperwork. They got the funds transferred, and they were leaving the bank. And the businessman said to the pastor, he said, I, didn't, I, didn't, I knew you met with God. You've told us that you meet with God. I've heard you talk about meeting with God, but I didn't know it was like a literal appointment on your calendar. And the pastor said, yeah, he said, 20 years ago, God spoke to me. He spoke to me and told me that I need to set apart a time to have an appointment with him every week. So every Monday from 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock for 20 years, I've set aside this time to meet with God. And the businessman said, well, I didn't know you were like that serious about keeping it. I didn't know it was like something that couldn't be moved or something like that. And the, the pastor said, well, I'm, I am pretty serious about trying to keep it. He said, I used to have appointments with God. And then without fail, something would come up and it'd get bumped back in the day. And then sometimes it wouldn't happen. So I'm pretty serious about trying to protect that. And then the businessman said, can I be honest with you? And the pastor said, sure. And he said, I thought you might reconsider scheduling that appointment with God. I thought you might think about rescheduling it in order to receive $2.6 million. And the pastor kind of laughed and he said, can I be honest with you? And he said, yeah. And he said, I did think about rescheduling the appointment with God for $2.6 million. And it was tempting because I knew how much money you were going to be transferring into the church's account. He said, but then I remembered it was about a year ago in my Monday morning, 9 o'clock meeting with God, that God spoke to me and told me he was going to give us the money for the building up front. And he said, and that was a year ago. And now today he fulfilled that with the $2.6 that you just gave us so we can do the building. And the pastor said, I didn't know what God was going to speak to me this morning that I needed to hear for the next year. He said, if I wouldn't have heard that word from God in my Monday morning, 9 o'clock meeting, I would have spent every bit of energy over the last year campaigning, 
raising money, meeting with banks, trying to get loans, doing all this stuff. He said, but I didn't do any of that because God spoke to me in that appointment, and I knew that he was going to provide for us. How serious are you about your appointments with God? Do you have an appointment with God? Do you keep your appointments with God? I have a friend who a couple years ago, he, was a, he is a worship pastor, and uh, he had gotten married, and he had a kid, and they lived in a city, and they lived on the seventh floor of an apartment building, and they had been there for a while. They had lived there for a number of years, and he used to tell me when I would talk to him how brutal it was to carry his laundry up and down seven flights of stairs and to the laundry mat, and they just hated doing that with their laundry. They hated carrying their groceries up seven flights of stairs, and he'd drive around for 15 or 20 minutes trying to find a parking spot when he would get home every single time. He was just like done with apartment life, and he was ready to buy a house. So they looked for a house, and eventually they found a place that they felt like fit them. His daughter was super excited about it because it had a swing set in the backyard and it had a nice backyard. His wife was super excited because she didn't have to carry the laundry up and down seven flights of stairs anymore. And the living room and the dining room and the kitchen, they were all kind of connected, and she could talk to everybody in the whole house. She loved it. My friend was super excited because it had an unfinished basement. The realtor, before they went to the house, told them that some people were actually turned off by the fact that it had an unfinished basement because they just saw it as another project to do and something that was going to take more money. My friend, he was super excited about this unfinished basement. The reason he was excited about this unfinished basement was his whole life he had dreamed about having a room in his house that was set apart for meeting with God. It was a dream he always had. Not everybody has that dream, I understand that, but it was a dream that he had. He wanted a room that was like specifically just set apart. This is all this room is for, is for meeting with God. So they bought the house, they went through the inspections and the closing, and they moved in. And now they're in the house, and they're getting settled, and he can finally start building this room in his house. He didn't have a lot of free time, so he'd work on it in the evenings when he had an hour here or there and didn't, was able to be quiet, so he didn't wake up the baby. And then he'd work on it on the weekends when he had time, and he'd get it framed in, and then he'd do the electrical, and then he'd get it insulated, and then he hung drywall, and he found out finishing drywall is horrible. And then after that, they painted, and they got the heating in there, and then eventually, finally, he was able to move his piano into this room. And then he was able to put some hangers on the wall to hang his guitar. And he was so excited to have this room in his house that was set apart to meet with God. It took a lot of effort to build this room. It took money. It took time. It took sacrifice from his family. But he was so excited about it. He didn't mind the money. He didn't mind the time because he so valued his appointments with God. If we value God's voice, if we want to hear God's voice, then we will learn to set, a time, set aside an appointment, set a time and a place to meet with God. The next thing we need to do is we need to be still and worship. Be still and worship. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Exodus 13 says, And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And then 2 Chronicles 20:17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourself. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Being still is something that we're not very good at. 
We're always on the go. We're always on the run. We don't like to be still. And sometimes if we can finally like get ourselves to sit still for a couple minutes, most of the time we can't even get our mind to slow down, right? We're always on the go. We don't like to be still. In that portion of scripture that I just read to you in 2 Chronicles, this situation was about as bad as it could get for Israel. Their back was like against the wall. They're goners. They're done. They're cooked. This is ugly. This is as bad as it can get. The children of Israel are about to enter into a war. And they're not just going to enter into a war with one army. They're about to enter into a war with three armies. They're up against three armies that are bigger than them, stronger than them. They're going to lose this battle. They are literally marching to their death. And then God speaks to them, and God tells them to do something that doesn't make sense in their mind. He actually tells them to do two things that don't make sense in their mind. He says, I want you to send the worshipers out in front of the warriors. This is the first thing that doesn't make sense. These warriors have been training. They're, like, ready to go to battle. And then they look at their friends who haven't been training, are not ready for battle. They're the worshipers. And God says, send them out in front of the warriors. This is like homecoming game, homecoming football game. And the coach comes and says, all right, instead of putting our offensive line out, we're going to get the drama club and put them out there. Like, this is bad. This is, just went from bad to worse. So not only does God say, say to send the worshipers out in front, but then he says just to stand still. And can you imagine what these warriors felt like when they said, okay, first he put the worshipers out in front of us. Now we're ready to fight. And you say, just stand still. Stand still and see our salvation. Like it totally doesn't make any sense in their mind. He, God's asking them to do the very thing that they don't want to do. Oftentimes, God will ask us to do things that don't make sense in our mind. I'll give you another example. This is in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. It says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in the house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit until it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So this is one of the first places that we see that God talks to us about tithing. And tithing is something that does not make sense in our mind. So let, let me break it down like this. You're in a place where you're struggling financially. You've got 100% of your money that you're working with, all the money you made, and you're struggling financially. You feel like you can barely get by at times. Or maybe there's times where you, don't, you can't even get by. You don't even have enough money to pay all your bills. And then God says to take a tithe, which is 10%. So God says to take 10% of your money and give it to him. And in your mind, you go, wait a second. I have 100%, and 100% is not enough. Then I give you 10%, so that means I'm left with 90%. If 100% wasn't enough, how in the world is 90% going to be enough? Like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry, God. Tithing sounds cool, but I'm, I can't afford it. Like, it doesn't work. I can't get by on 90% when I couldn't get by on 100%. But what happens, what the Bible tells us, 
is that when we're faithful and obey God in this thing that doesn't make sense in our mind, God blesses the 90, and the 90% will actually make it further than the 100% ever could have made it on their own. How many of you have seen this to be true in your life? God literally will bless it, and the 90% will make it further than the 100 ever could have. The same is true with our time. What do you think the number one reason is that people don't take time to be still before God? They don't have time. God, I can't sit and be still in front of you. I don't have time. There's only 24 hours in the day. I'm running all day. I'm run ragged. I'm not getting enough sleep. I don't have time. The same principle that's true with tithing is true with our time. Maybe part of the reason you're running so much, you're on the go so much, you don't have enough time is because you haven't been setting aside time to be still with God. Maybe if you learn to be still and worship, that the rest of your time would go further than the time was going when you were using 100% of your time to try and accomplish what you were trying to do. One of the best things that happens for me when I take time to be still and worship God is I realize I'm not alone. I realize I'm not alone. There are things that I carry through life, as you can see here. And on my own, sometimes those things that I carry, they feel overwhelming. So I'm carrying something through life, and I feel overwhelmed. I feel like I don't have enough strength to do it. I don't know how I'm going to possibly do this with God. When I rest and take time to rest and worship in God's presence, what I realize is I'm not alone at all. And in fact, this thing that I've been carrying that seems like a huge deal to me, it's overwhelming, is actually no big deal at all to God. God can handle it. It's no wonder I can be productive with less time. It's because I'm actually carrying less weight through life. The reason we can be more productive with less time is because we don't have to carry these things. We can bring them to God. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's no wonder Isaiah said, fear not. Isaiah said, fear not, because he struggled with fear until he learned to rest in God's presence. Then he realized that he didn't have to be afraid because God was with him. It's no wonder that Matthew says, don't worry about your life. What that means is Matthew worried about his life until he learned to rest and get in God's presence, and then he realized he didn't have to worry about his life. Paul says in Philippians, be anxious about nothing. Let me translate that for you. Paul was anxious until he got in God's presence and rested and gave the burden to God. Peter says to cast your cares upon God because he cares for you. When we're still and we worship, the burden that we've been carrying is lifted. So we need to set an appointment, we need to be still and worship, and then we need to pray and read. Mark 1.35 says, In the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. So there we have a time, in the morning, before daylight. And then we have the place, the solitary place. He had an appointment, and then he prayed. If Jesus needed to set an appointment to get alone with God and pray, do you think that's something that we ought to prioritize in our life? 
Psalm 119, 147 says, I rise before the dawn of the morning. I cry for help. I hope in your word. This answers a very important question this psalm does. A lot of people say, they'll tell me, I want to pray, but I don't know what to pray. What the psalmist prayed was the psalmist prayed for help. The psalmist felt like they were in a place where they needed help, and so they prayed for help. So what should you pray for? You should pray for whatever's on your mind. You should pray for whatever's on your heart. If you're in a place where you're desperate for help, then you ought to cry out for help too. If you're in a place where you're burdened by a family member who doesn't have a relationship with the Lord, then you ought to pray for that. If you're in a place where a friend is sick and that's been weighing on you, then you ought to pray for that. If you're struggling financially and that's been a burden you've been carrying, then you ought to pray for that. Then the writer of the psalm says, I hope in your word. I hope in your word. That's the Bible. One of the reasons that we read the Bible is it fills our soul with hope. We read about how God was faithful to other people who walked through challenging situations. And it renews our hope that if he was faithful to them, surely he'll be faithful to us too. The next thing we need to do is we need to listen and write. Listen and write. This is David talking about the temple. All of this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing. By his hand upon me, all of the works of these plans. And then Habakkuk 2.2, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. The things that God speaks to us, when he speaks to us, when we're in his presence, the things that he speaks to us, they become the platform that our future is built on. When God speaks to us, it gives us energy to move forward into his dream for our life. April and I do something in the beginning of the year with our family. <clears throat> Usually on January 1st, after dinner, we'll sit down with the girls. And uh, we don't do birthday cards in our family. That sounds weird and harsh, but we don't do birthday cards. What we do instead of birthday cards is we bought each one of the girls a journal. And then on their birthday, we write letters to them in this journal so that they can have it with them whenever, whenever they need to read what we think or feel about them because birthday cards always just get thrown out or whatever. So we have these journals for the girls. And on January 1st, we sit down and we ask the girls with us to pray and ask God what he wants to speak to us for the upcoming year. So we'll sit down and we'll pray. And like Jocelyn and Natalie, they're kind of used to it by now. That's normal routine for them. And the other ones, sometimes they need a little help. So we'll say, like, what do you think God wants to do in our family? What do you think God wants to do in our church? And then they'll pray, and they'll hear from the Lord, and then they'll write down what the Lord speaks to them. This year, when we went to do that, we sat down, and I was kind of giving a little bit of instructions, and we were about to do that, and then Natalie goes, wait a second. Why don't we look back at what God spoke to us in 2018 and see if God did the stuff that he said he was going to do? I was like, okay, that sounds like a good idea. I don't know why I didn't think of that, so let's do that. So we did, and so Natalie started, and she started reading out loud what God had spoken to her eight-year-old heart. And I got to tell you, I was floored. I was like, it was amazing to see how God had done each one of these things that God had told her he was going to do. 
And it wasn't like they were like general things like God's going to love me. I mean, it was specific things like God says I need to work on math. And as I work on math, he's going to help me and I'm going to get way better. And I looked at it and I went like, oh, my gosh, like we literally watched. She was struggling with math and we watched it progress over the course of the whole year. Like and all of the things were like that where God had specifically done exactly what he told her he would do. And we would have never known it. We wouldn't have remembered unless she had written it down. When we read the Bible, we're encouraged by what God has done in other people's lives. When we write down what God speaks to us, when we walk through a challenging time, we can look back and we can see God actually did what he said he would do back in whenever, 2004. So now in 2019, when I'm walking through a challenging time, I can say, he was faithful to me then. He did what he said he was going to do. And he just spoke to me that he was going to do something that seems impossible. But if he had been faithful before, I can trust he's going to complete what he said he's going to do in me in this season. Amen? Amen. Writing is not something that I'm good at. I enjoy sitting and spending time in God's presence. But writing down the things that God has spoken to me is a place that I need to grow so that I can look back and be encouraged by what God has done in my life. Um, do we have that video ready? Okay, Bill Hybels tells a story about spending time in God's presence, and I wanted to share that with you this morning. Over the years, I've tried to coach people how they can get into a position.
came a day when they had to move him out of that chair and put him in a hospital bed. It's a very tough day. And he wasn't in that hospital bed very long, and he died. Uh, the family asked if I would fly to Colorado and give the eulogy at his funeral. I did. It was a very uh, tough thing to do. He's a fantastic guy. Uh, after the funeral was over, I talked to his wife, and uh, I said, what are you going to do with that chair? And she said, well, we're going to keep that chair in the family. You know, God changed Tom's life in that chair. God whispered to Tom in that chair. And uh, she was saying, we'd like to pass that chair from one generation to the next to the next. But never underestimate what God can do in a chair or in the front seat of a pickup truck. Some of the carpenters who attend our church just meet with God and listen for whispers. Front seat of a pickup. Some people do it on a commuter train going downtown. And uh, other people will do it in a coffee shop. It doesn't matter where so much. Just that you devote the time to quiet yourself, to listen to God, and to be open to what he might say to you. God's been speaking us to us today about learning to hear his voice. He was speaking to us about that in worship, about hearing his voice and obeying. And he's been speaking to us about the mess through that throughout the message this morning. I want each of you to have an intimate, close relationship with the Lord. I want that more than just about anything else. I want each of you to have a, a rocking chair like Bill's friend Tom had. And you can. Each of you can have a thing like that. And I would imagine that most of you watched that video and you thought to yourself, like, man, I would love to have a place like that where God could speak to me and I could hear his voice. Each of us can have that in our lives if we learn to value it enough, if we learn to make it a priority, if we say we're going to set an appointment with God, we're going to take time to be still and worship him, we're going to pray and read, and we're going to listen and write. If that's your heart this morning, that you want to have a rocking chair, you want to have a place like that where you can hear God's voice, I just want to ask you to stand and I'm going to pray for you. Lord, we thank you so much that you love us enough to speak to us. You don't just leave us on our own to carry the burdens of life that each one of us feel. But Lord, as we prioritize appointments with you and we come before you and we're still, you take the burdens that we've been carrying and you lift them off us. And Lord, I just pray right now for each person that feels like they've been carrying a heavy burden. They feel like they've been walking through life heavy. There's been a weight on their shoulders. They feel like they're just tired from carrying that weight. Lord, I ask that as they begin to prioritize an appointment with you, you would lift the burden that they've been carrying. That they would realize they're not alone, but you really are there with them. And Lord, I ask you for testimonies throughout this year of people like Tom, who found a rocking chair and ended up finding a relationship with you that they didn't even ever know they could have. A deeper, more intimate relationship where they could hear your voice. They could hear your whispers. Lord, I ask you to begin to speak to each one and help us to hear what you're saying. In your name we pray. Amen.
Have an awesome week, and I also want to let you know the next two weeks we're going to ha- be having guest speakers that you're not going to want to miss. We have Hector Santos coming next week, and then Kathy Campbell coming the week after that, so be sure to come back. Have a great week.